Praise the Lord, Grace Church. Is anybody glad to be in the house of God today on this Sunday morning? Have you come to give God thanks? Have you come to give Him praise? Can we all just stand this morning and worship the name of the Lord?
Quizzing has uh, kicked back off for our juniors, and they are fresh off of their first tournament in Winsboro, Louisiana this past weekend. Our junior team, consisting of Noah Watley, Joseph Watley, and Ty Smith, did really well, and they represented Grace with class and maturity. Uh, they stayed positive and encouraging of others if they lost, and humble and gracious when they won. And at this first practice tournament, our team placed fourth overall. Really well. Joseph Watley was second highest scorer in a game. Ty Smith was second highest scorer in a game. Noah was highest scorer in three games, second highest scorer in one, and he was also on the all-tournament team and was the highest scorer in the entire tournament. So this first tournament was a practice tournament, and it's just for that. It's for practice and it's for growth. And we were able to accomplish both of those things this weekend. And I look forward to you know continuing to learn and grow this quiz season, both spiritually and in knowledge with these with these kids. And I just want to thank the church for your continued support of quizzing and God bless. Thank you guys. Well, thank you, Sister Courtney. Thank you, quizzers. Good morning, everybody. It is great to see you all in the house of the Lord. We've come to worship Jesus, have we not? And I think before we're seated, it would be good to just do that one more time. From left to right, front to back, can we just, can we just worship Jesus today? We praise you in this house, God. Into your presence with thanksgiving and into your courts with praise. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And I'm just going to tell you today, I... I, I in prayer this morning, I told the Lord, I said, I can't wait to see what you're going to do this morning. And I believe that. I believe that God is going to do something miraculous. I think he's going to do something beyond our expectations. I think he's going to do something great before we leave this place today. If you believe that one more time, would you just clap your hands by faith to Jesus? Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. It feels good in the presence of the Lord today. And I do want to take this moment to just welcome all of you here to Grace Church on campus. We are so glad that you are here on a Sunday morning. And of course, those joining us on live stream and Facebook Live, we are so glad that you've made Grace Church part of your Sunday. We know the service will be a blessing to you. Now, we have a few housekeeping things to take care of today. How many of you promise you'll hang with me and then we'll go right back into worship? Is that all right? Can, can, will you promise to stay awake for just a couple of minutes and then we'll get back into the worship. Amen. I do want to just uh, thank you for your giving. Uh, as always, you can give in your offerings online and also on the way out in the lobby. There's a place for you to give as well. Um, let me tell you about what, what is in store this week, what we have coming up this week. Of course, our 21 Days of Sacrifice continues. And that's going all the way through next Sunday, January the 24th. So thank you for being a part of this effort uh, to seek the Lord and to come before him with a time of consecration and sacrifice. Now, uh, tomorrow night at 714 in your home is United Family Prayer. And I hope, you've been, I hope you've been faithful to that. It is a blessing. It will bless your family. It will bless your home. And uh, we want, to, want you to know that that continues. Uh, and we're going to do that again tomorrow night. Tuesday morning, prayer here in the sanctuary at 10 a.m. For all those that can make it another opportunity to pray. And then a third opportunity to pray will be this coming Saturday for our men 
in the Alexander Center uh, at 9 o'clock. So uh, all of our men remember that. This will be our first men's prayer of the new year. And I have to tell you, I'm really looking forward to it. Not only the prayer, but also the fellowship. And I know that God will meet with us in a great way. And then um, a, couple of, uh, a couple of housekeeping things here. If you have moved in, in the recent, you know, the last few months or this year and have not let the church office know, we need for you to update your address with the church office quickly, soon, immediately, if not sooner, as my dad used to say. And uh, that is so that we can get your 2020 contribution statement to you. And that is very important. You need that. You need that as part of your taxes and all that. So um, make a note of that. If you need to update any of that kind of information with the church office, you need to do that very quickly. And then uh, just so proud of Heather Tear. She is going to be going back to Finland in the summer. And uh, as you know, she's been doing some fundraisers out here in the foyer uh, throughout the year, throughout last year, um, doing some different things. Well, this coming Sunday, a week from today, next Sunday after church, she is going to be serving a lunch. It's going to be red beans and rice and cornbread and, and things along that line. And uh, you, can, you can purchase that lunch and you can either dine in over in the Alexander Center or you can take it to go, whatever you're most comfortable doing. But you'll have two options there. But we're asking all of our church family, we know you eat lunch anyway on Sunday, right? And so we're asking you to make this a part of your plan Sunday, and it will help Heather Tear on her Finland missions trip. And I can't think of a better cause, to be honest with you. Just so proud of her, so proud. This will be her third trip over there to help the Alphans. And uh, the city she's going to be in this time is right in the heart of, of that work, in a, a heart of where they've planted a church now since, I guess, since she's been there last time, if I understand correctly. So uh, they're, they're making a difference. They're making an impact, and we want to be part of that. And then finally, last, last announcement, but very, very important. Katie Ty has partnered with a couple whom uh, we trust. We've, we, Grace Church is partnering with them. We, we trust the, these individuals very much to provide necessities to those that need them most, especially in the wintertime. We, we've actually had some cold weather this winter, as I'm sure you're well aware. And so we have an opportunity as a church to minister to a very, very, uh, important need, a serious need, a legitimate need. And so we have the opportunity to get behind this effort and we're, we're really excited about it. So next Sunday morning from 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock and for an hour after church, Katie will be over in the Alexander Center receiving donations. And these are things such as sleeping bags, jackets, beanies, toiletries, any kind of blankets, necessities along this line. That, uh, that, that these folks that, that have the greatest need for them can use. I, I immediately after church, Katie will take those directly to these folks that will be handing them out that have direct contact with those people that need them. So this, this is opportunity will be this Sunday, the 24th coming, the one coming, and then the 31st, you'll have the opportunity to do that as well. So the next two Sundays, you have the opportunity to bring your donations and be a part of this great cause. If you have any questions about that, if any of that was not clear, please see Katie after church and she can give you some more information. But we want to support this. We want to get behind it and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, so now we're ready to have church. I truly, truly, truly expect God to do some amazing things today before we leave. I know you do too. So as the praise team comes to lead us back into worship and into the presence of the Lord, would you clap your hands one more time to Jesus and let's give him the praise. God bless you today.
There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. No thing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves, where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone in your presence. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come cut this place and Your glory. 
presence of the Lord here today. Jesus is in the house today. Oh, yes, he is. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank the Lord. When they were, when they were just singing, I am not afraid. I hope we live that every day. I trust we live that every day. Uh, and who knows what the future holds? Who knows what the future holds? I'm glad I could say that I'm in the hands of the Lord today. Amen. I'm in the hands of the Lord. Just want to say quickly, very proud of our quizzers. Thank you, Courtney, for leading them, guiding them. They did amazing yesterday. And uh, certainly thankful that we congratulate uh, our Bible quizzers doing a great job uh, already this year. And coming to the pulpit today, I have this thought in my mind. Do you ever reach a point spiritually in all of your years of being in church, whether even if you're a new convert, brand new, you ever reach a point where you just don't need to hear any more preaching? You ever think you do that, well, here comes pastor, he's going to preach another sermon, and we've heard sermons for years, some of us, all of our lives. Do you ever reach a point? The Bible says no. It's the foolishness of preaching that saves them that believes the Bible said. And uh, so I've come here today to do it all over again and I never come to the pulpit to beat the air and to pass out big puffs of cotton candy the point I wanted to make in, in mentioning do we ever outgrow the need of hearing preaching is or do you ever get as close to God and you ever do everything you possibly can for God and there's just nothing else period that I can think we ever reach that point I don't think any of us can say we earnestly reach that point as a matter of fact the, the testimonies I've heard through the years of people that have given their life especially missionaries uh, some of you will remember the Freemans missionaries to Africa for years and years and years when you hear all the things they do and that, that God has done through them and all the sacrifices they make, they cry and weep because they could not have done more. They, they just didn't feel like they did enough. It seems like those who do the most feel the most guilty because they don't do enough. So today, I want to challenge us yet again. We're still in the month of January. We had an amazing church last Sunday. I just felt like God shoved this church way ahead made up for lost time and uh, so today we're going to do it again I trust you'll open your heart open your mind to the word of God to the presence of the Lord and whatever it is that God wants to do the remainder of this service I pray that we're open to it and that you'll respond to the presence of the Lord as you feel it I'm going to read a very familiar reading as a matter of fact it was my scripture text for my mother's funeral I used to preach her funeral. I'll share it with you again today. John 14, verse 1. Very familiar. Some of us could quote it. 
Jesus said to his disciples at the Last Supper, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, Not I'm coming to where you are. I'm going to bring you to where I am. That where I am, that where I am, there you may be also. I want to preach to you for a little while just simply moving to where God is. Moving to where God is. Everyone say thank the Lord for the word. Thank you for your patience and standing and you may be seated. I've been dreaming about heaven for a long time. Um, last year, I dreamed about heaven a lot. Maybe not physical dreams while I'm sleeping at night, but just thinking about it. How awesome it would be to go to bed one night here and wake up the next morning there. Has anybody ever thought about that besides me? Have you ever thought about that? What that would be like to go to bed here and wake up there? Man, what, a, what an awesome, awesome thought to me that is. I mentioned several Wednesday nights ago about listening, finding an old cassette tape. Uh, I'm going to say it was probably from the late 70s that I hand recorded in church, the Concourse Quartet from many, many years ago. And they sang a song uh, that night in that, in that concert, and, and, and I listened to it several weeks ago and cried. Uh, it was uh, Ken Brady saying, Sometimes it seems, he said, I can almost see that city. Sometimes it seems I'm almost there. Sometimes it seems I can hardly wait till morning. For when morning comes, I know that I'll be home. Think a lot about heaven, dream about it, try to figure out what it's going to be like. I decided a long time ago over all this doctrine stuff we talk about, and I don't mean to diminish it by saying it that way, but I've come to the conclusion it really doesn't matter to me who's in heaven as long as I'm there. You can believe whatever you want to believe if he'll get you there. But as long as I'm there, that's all that matters to me. And I'll be happy to see you no matter what. I hope I don't sound disparaging or discounting anything. But that's how I feel. But today I'm not going to talk to you about heaven. I'm going to ask God. I know that during time of rapture, the rapture of the church, the resurrection of the dead in Christ... That's where we're going, and we all know that. There's no doubt about it. If you die right with God, you're going to resurrect one of these days, and it'll all be over with. And then rapture's coming, and it'll all be over with. So he is, as he promised in John 14, he's going to prepare a place for us that we can be where he is. But I say today, what's wrong with 
Instead of always asking God to come to us and help us where we are, why can't we as a church move closer to where he is, even without going to heaven? Can we move more to his plan, to his purpose, to his will? Is everybody here today doing the absolute impeccable will of God? Is everybody here today absorbed in his purpose? Does everybody believe in his plan and vision for your life? If not, then why don't you plan today Instead of just asking God to come to you in your trouble, why don't you go to him with his plan? I think that's pretty good preaching right there. I could conclude right here, but I'm not. There's always the desire in the heart of mankind that when he is trouble, it's in trouble, he wants to have God come to his aid. I do. You do. You're foolish if you don't. Harold E. Hughes, the 36th governor of Iowa, and also a U.S. senator said, he said, I, I know no words of prayer. He said, I know no words of prayer. God help me because I cannot help myself. The psalmist summed up this idea when he said in Psalm 71, verse 12, O God, be not far from me. O my God, make haste for my help. I've seen it through the years when people are in need. They call on God and God comes to them and I thank God that he does. I remember it's been a number of years ago we were able to have breakfast with Brother Merrill and Sister Christy, uh, during the holidays, they were in town. And I looked at Joshua. I think he's, if he's not 18, he's close to it. I remember when he was born. But I remember when they were here a number of years ago, he was a small child. And they called one night. It was a Sunday afternoon, one Sunday evening, and said, Can you come pray for Josh? He's running fever. Eyes kind of glazed over and real lethargic, and we'd like for you to come pray. We did. Never forget that night at their house. We prayed for Josh laying on the couch, hardly moving. We were very concerned. And within a few moments of praying for him, he hopped up and went on to the back bedroom and started playing with Micah like nothing was ever happened, nothing was ever wrong. It was God coming to the aid of a need that a little boy had in his life. Brother Ben shared with us last Sunday the same experience they had on vacation several days ago, a few weeks ago, with uh, their oldest daughter, Hannah, that God came to their immediate rescue. God has come to me and my family many, many times in the middle of so many unwanted, tragic situations, more times that then I have time to tell. He has truly been an ever-present help in the time of trouble. I needed God this past Friday, and I prayed diligently and fervently, and he came to my rescue. Yes, he did.
But not only to me and my family, but also to the sweet people of God. I've stood at the bedside of sweet saints and watched God work miracles. I've witnessed the comfort of the Holy Ghost when they passed on. And I'm still amazed at how God steps into our lives and grants answers to fervent prayers. I'm amazed at how gracefully He can step into a hospital room or even the ICU and in the atmosphere of hopeless uh, despair when the, the doctor says there's no hope. I've seen God come in and change everything and make everything all right. You and I have become accustomed to praying with the aid of prevalent faith. God, come to me. I, I need you desperately. I, I need you now. The Bible does say, the Bible does say that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The three Hebrew boys in the Old Testament have been an amazing illustration of this point. Someone said one time very adequately, when you can't get out of a situation, then bring God in it with you. And that's what they did. I'm thankful today for the fourth man in the fire. We are never alone. You're never alone. Amen. Daniel experienced this as well. When he was let down into a den of lions, he brought God into that den of lions with him. So listen very carefully. Yes, the three Hebrew boys were thrown into a fiery furnace. And yes, Daniel was let down into a den of lions. And yes, God was with them. But they didn't stay there. The three Hebrew boys didn't stay in the furnace of fire and neither did Daniel stay in the den of lions. The fourth man in the fire ultimately rescued them out of it to where they didn't even smell like smoke. Don't you remember how the Bible said the three Hebrew boys came out and Daniel came out? The Bible does say that. Not long after we purchased this building some 10 years ago, I remember I felt very inspired one day. I was on the, the riding lawnmower mowing my lawn and, and was meditating and I actually used that moment to do a lot of thought processing and trying to listen to God. I always used yard work for that through the years. But I felt like God nudged me to do something I've never done before and I've not done it since, not at that level. But I felt inspired to handpick 12 men to join me on selected random nights to come pray here in this building in what I called an evening of encounter. Some of those men are here today. On the very first time we gathered, I remember that praying a prayer that night. There were words that came out of my mouth that were not pre-thought, nor were they premeditated. But I was just praying. I was pacing in front of the platform, and the words just came out of my mouth and said, God, move me to where you are. And when that prayer came out of my mouth, the Spirit of God moved all over me that night. 
And I promise you, I have not been the same since. Virtually every Sunday, we gather back here with the praise team before we come out and we pray. I say those words. God, move us today where you are. I love it when God comes to my aid. But when it comes to planning and vision and purpose, I like to go to where he is. Since that time, I've encouraged others to pray the same prayer. I want to appeal to Grace Church today. Don't be content to always bring God to your need, but ask God to move you to his purpose for your life, no matter what that is. I have, I will admit, on occasions prayed and had that prayer answered to my own chagrin. It's not easy packing up and leaving home. I remember starting a church in Youngstown. You all know the story. But we were there hardly a month when I got the call that my mother was in a desperate car accident, a tragic accident. My stepdad was killed instantly. It was only the mercy of God that she didn't die. We came down literally on borrowed money from a credit card company. Stayed with her at the hospital for four or five days. But after a while, I had a church to build. I had a family to provide for. And I had to tell her in her time of being comatose with tears streaming down my face, Mama, I've got to go. It's hard sometimes to pray, God, me, God, move me to your will. Because when you pray that sincerely, he will. And sometimes there's a price tag attached to it. And when the night, three weeks later, the doctor said, your mother's not going to make it through the night, I called my brother from Youngstown and I said, go shake the bed, go shake her body, do something. But don't let her die tonight. And we concluded that we would pray. And she woke up the next morning saying, where are my children God came to my aid when I was willing to move to his purpose. Hallelujah. And I could stand here for a while and impart to you how we've had moments like that and very many of them. Somebody said you could spend minutes, hours, days, weeks, or even months overanalyzing a situation, trying to put the pieces together, justifying what could have, would have happened, or you can just leave the pieces on the floor and move on. It's moving to where God is. It is important, Steve Maraboli said, that we forgive ourselves for making mistakes. We need to learn from our errors and move on. He went on to say, cry. Forgive, learn, move on, he said. Let your tears water the seeds of your future happiness. Somebody said moving on is easy. It's staying moved on that's trickier. Most of us live in a place spiritually that we have become content to live in. We say, I am happy as long as God is meeting my needs. 
And we call that a successful relationship with God. We then live out the rest of our lives never really knowing what God's purpose for our lives really is. I want to take you on a little journey for the remaining time that I have this morning. Not preach as long as I did last Sunday. But for the little time I have remaining, I want you to recall with me the story in the Bible of Peter on the stormy sea when he walked on the water. Anybody remember that story? In the New Testament, Jesus walking on the water appears. The story appears in Matthew 14, Mark 6, and John 6. It's almost like God chose to do it this way so that in the mouth of three witnesses, every word would be established. It's told three times. This episode is distinct from the calming the storm episode, which also involves a ship on the Sea of Galilee, but takes place much earlier in the Gospels. In all three Gospels, this episode follows the narrative of the feeding of the 5,000, when you would think the faith of the disciples would be off the charts. It is pretty mind-boggling that Jesus took five little loaves of bread and fed 5,000 people with it and they picked up 14 baskets left over, 12 baskets. The Bible said Jesus had withdrawn by ship to a desert place belonging to Bethsaida after hearing of the death of John the Baptist but was followed by the crowds on foot. And all three accounts after The evening the disciples got into a ship to cross to the other side of the Sea of Galilee without Jesus. Everybody say without Jesus. They didn't learn from their first storm. We can still handle it ourselves. So they got into a ship. When Jesus heard of the death of John the Baptist, he went apart up in the mountain to pray. So the disciples decide we'll embark on our own journey without him. Because they were getting and growing accustomed to it doesn't matter where we go, Jesus will always come to our aid. And Jesus chose this night. Y'all hear me? He chose this occasion to break them of that habit. John tells us when Jesus went off toward Bethsaida, the disciples headed towards Capernaum. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I don't want to go anywhere without Jesus. Nowhere. Enough said. During the journey on the sea, the disciples were once again stressed by wind and waves, but saw Jesus walking toward them on the water. I want y'all to understand, they weren't out on the Atlantic. They were on a relatively small Sea of Galilee, about seven miles wide and 14 miles long. And John said in his account that they were about three miles from where they had departed from when this storm hit, so they hadn't gone very far. I was using GPS here a while back, and was driving on 1019 and 
it said I had three miles before I turned on Magnolia Bridge Road. And I thought about the disciples. That's how far they got. From range down 1019 to Magnolia Bridge Road. That's how far they got when they were completely stressed out of their mind and they had no clue what to do. And it's interesting to me that while they were out there in this time of distress, now keep in mind, they had just experienced a major storm with Jesus doing the peace be still thing, but they've learned nothing. And I'm not going to disparage them over that because we do the same thing. The disciples were fighting the wind, the waves, the rain, and all of that. And all of a sudden, this figure appears on the water walking toward them. I have to be honest, Darren, it would freak me out too. I'm just not accustomed in my everyday life to seeing somebody walking around on top of the water. Especially stormy water. Maybe y'all don't think that's any big deal. You're response to that is, well, that ain't a big deal, Pastor. I see that all the time. Okay, well, I'd like to step into your world for a little while then. Because I've never seen it. But this being is on this stormy, horrible surface of water, and they are scared to death. And Jesus walks up to them, and Mark's account, he said that he would have passed them by. He would have just kept walking. So now it makes you wonder what Jesus was doing. Was he just strolling across the stormy sea for some good cardiovascular exercise and some balance drills on the waves? What was he doing? Mark said he was going to keep on going if the people on the ship had not said nothing. I'm not trying to drive too much detail into this, but I wonder how many times he's passed us by because we never said anything. I'll handle it myself. I had somebody tell me that one time. I very rarely ask Jesus to come to my aid. I don't want to bother him. Well, I promise you that Jesus was not out just out on a cardiovascular stroll that night working on his balance on stormy seas. He was teaching them a lesson. And I don't find where it was recorded. The Bible did say in one of the accounts that When they were in the midst of this storm, before Jesus ever left the mountain he was on, he saw them. He knew where they were. He knew what they were going through. But the strange thing is you never find it recorded where they prayed that he would come. He just came being nice. And then to further illustrate his point, because y'all don't know where I'm going with this yet, He would have kept on walking. You say, well, pastor, you said, you know, go to his will and purpose and all that and and, and quit being dependent on calling him to your aid. That's, That's what was happening. No, it wasn't. That wasn't the point. They didn't ask him to come to their aid. He was just being nice and compassionate, in my opinion. And so when they finally cried out for help, scared to death it was a ghost or a phantom, I don't know where they got that from either because I don't find a lot of record in the Bible where the disciples were fishing one night and they'd see ghosts walking around on the water. Wow. 
Try not to overanalyze the scripture too much like this, but when you start thinking about it, the whole thing sounds really crazy. From start to finish, it's crazy. But Jesus will do anything to prove a point. And I think he struck us kind of through a whole year last year of trying to prove a point, and I'm not sure if we've gotten it yet. It's interesting to me that only Matthew's account mentions Peter asking to come to Jesus on the water. And here comes the point. After Peter came out of the ship, he walked on the water. Maybe he got afraid. The Bible said that he took his eyes off Jesus and he began to sink. And again, he called out for Jesus to help him. And Jesus did. The Bible said Jesus caught him by the hand and pulled him up out of the water and then reproved him for his lack of faith. And then both of them went back to the ship whereupon the storm apparently stopped. And Matthew, the astounded disciples, called Jesus the Son of God after that. I thought they did that in the last storm they went through. But in all three accounts... After Jesus got into the ship, the wind ceased and they reached the shore. And only John's account has their ship immediately reached the shore. Only John's account said their ship immediately reached the shore. You couldn't even say that the ship was kind of like an airplane. It just went from where it was to... It was on the shore, just doom, doom, translated. A whole ship, 12 people. We think the thing with Philip was pretty cool. What about that? Why don't you pick up a ship and just move it immediately from one place to another with 12 men and all their fishing gear on it? John continues to narrate the events of the next day when the crowd of the 5,000 came to Capernaum for Jesus to feed them again. They asked him, How did you cross over when they knew that he wasn't on the ship when they left? So Jesus, how did you get here? It's a legitimate question. And Jesus didn't answer it. Are y'all hearing all of this today? Jesus didn't answer the question. But I want you to notice again, Mark clearly says, that he would have walked past them. And it was not until Peter called out to Jesus that he stopped. Why did he do that? I believe that Jesus was making a statement to them. He was showing them that, yes, there are times when I will come to you no matter where you are and no matter what you're going through. But then there are times that I will be close And if you want me, you have to come to where I am. To me, that's the point. Peter did not say, Lord, if it be thou, come to me. He didn't say that. I don't know what inspired him to say what he said other than the Holy Ghost. He said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come to you. Amen. 
How close do you want to be in God's will and purpose and plan? How bad do you want to be where he is? Will you get out of your boat of some semblance of security, not total, but it's a whole lot more secure than getting out of it? You're willing to do that because you understand no matter what kind of boat you're in, you're going to be safer with Jesus even when he is standing on top of the water in a storm. You're still safer with him than if you were still in your boat. I know everybody don't participate in this kind of preaching. I know everybody's not going to respond to it because they didn't, the other 11 disciples didn't respond. Wouldn't it have been awesome if all 12 of them had just been hanging over the side of that ship saying, Jesus, bid us come to thee. Jesus, help us. Jesus, get us out of this. We want to come to you. We want to come to you. Out of 12 men, only one. Only one. Peter did not say, if it be thou, come to me. But he said, if it be thou, bid me come to thee. I will surrender my place of security. I will surrender my hope. I will change the way I think. I will forget about the past and past hurts. God, just let me come to where you are. And here's the problem with us here today. It may seem to you impossible because the way between where you are and where he is to you is impassable. It's not possible for me to go to where Jesus wants me to be. That's what we see. That's how we come to our decision making. This is what we finally come up with when we analyze the situation that God, if you really want me to do your plan, purpose, and will for my life, for the rest of this year, for my family, for myself, for the church, for your kingdom, if you really want me to do that, it's impossible for me to do that what we say now put yourself in the place of Simon Peter do you think Jesus built him a little short Natchez Trace highway real quick from that ship to where he was you think he built him a super highway and put him in a sports car like a Mustang GT convertible and say come on over drive on over here Peter I'm going to make this smooth as glass buddy Y'all think with me for a moment. We've heard this sermon many times. Think of what it took. I've mentioned this before. Brother Tommy is a fisherman. Brother Henry's a fisherman. We have other people here that like to fish. Why don't you get out of your boat and just, instead of driving it up to the dock, just get it from here to the ministry team over there and just get out and just walk on the water. On the, it don't have to be stormy water. Just get out and walk on over there. And just drag the rope with you and you just pull it up. Don't get on the dock. Just walk on the water over there. I want you to try it one day and see what happens. In good conditions, it ain't possible. When everything is wonderful, it's not possible to us. When everything is perfect around us, it's still not possible to do what Peter did in the wee hours of that morning. Y'all not hearing me today. But I'm here to tell you something happens something engages all of you people that want the worldly stuff and sinful stuff and live like I don't know what and claim to have this relationship with God that only works when you need him 
You could stay on the boat, but I decided a long time ago, I'm going to choose a real tricky path. I'm going to choose what seems like impossible. I'm not qualified. I don't feel worthy of it. But Jesus bid me come, and I came. I went to everything I had to get to where he was. But here's, here's what you have to understand. Imagine how Peter felt. I hate to bother you, Brother Dave, in your moment of comfort. But just imagine how Peter felt when he's, he made it. Jesus pulled him out of the water. This is Peter. I'm Jesus. Okay. Jesus pulled him out of the water. And Peter's standing there next to Jesus looking at the boys back in the boat going, <laughs> This could have been you. Y'all still not hearing me. Grab this right here. Imagine how it feels to have Jesus just kind of grab you by the arm. It's okay, let's go back to the boat. Wind blowing like I don't know what. Lightning flashing, rain pouring. Your hair, your clothes is dripping wet. But Jesus says, let's go back to the ship. The point is, thank you. He brings you back to where you started from. But the only difference is you got him with you now. And that's what we don't get sometimes. We want to do this stuff by ourselves, And you don't understand the value of having God direct your path and bring you safe passage back to his will, his purpose, and his plan. I can promise you this. I can promise you this. That if Peter, after that night, he was not the same again. He never had to be taught that lesson again. He did struggle a little bit with the uh, resurrection of Jesus. But it's interesting to me, the angels told the woman, go tell his disciples and Peter that he's resurrected. Yeah, John outrun him. But it's not who runs the fastest. It's who finishes the race. Where John was content to stand on the outside of the tomb, Peter went on in and looked around. That's what happens. That's what happens to you when Jesus takes you from where you were to him and then back to where you were. But he's with you now. And you understand some things. You've gotten some revelation. You've got some understanding. You've got some forethought. Jesus didn't have to beg Peter to go up with him to the Mount of Transfiguration. He didn't have to plead with Peter to get him to preach the day of Pentecost and to raise the lame man from the dead. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to plead with Peter to sing praises that night in a prison cell when God came and opened every prison door and he converted the jailer the story of Peter goes on and on why because he was willing to leave where he was and go to where Jesus is he wants to change listen listen folks listen to pastor he wants to change your mentality from needy to purposeful you live your life with purpose. You don't just get up every day today and I have this amazing relationship with God because, and I've heard people testify to this all of my life. 
I love God because when I'm in need, he comes to me. Why don't you try a relationship with God that's filled with purpose? That says, God wants me to invite somebody to church. God wants me to encourage somebody. God wants me to inspire somebody. God wants me to be the priest of my home. God wants me to be more faithful and diligent about his kingdom. Why don't you try that kind of relationship with God? Those of you that are married, what if your marriage was only based on the fact that you only needed your spouse when you were in need, when you needed something? Oh, I love them because they always take care of my needs. That's selfish. What about their needs? Glory is right. We must warm up to this idea. Or you may not even make it to heaven. Because, listen to Pastor. Just about done. If you can't move to his will and purpose here, how do you think you're going to go to that place he's prepared for you? Because you have to move to go there. As a matter of fact, if you're not willing to move from here to there, you're not going. Jesus is coming after those who are looking for his appearing. Am I making sense to anybody? We've got a big move ahead of us from here to heaven so why don't we start inching and getting as close to that place as we can before rapture it's hard to stay where you are and go to heaven at the same time isn't it it's also hard to stay where you are and move closer to his will and purpose for your life there's a lot of people here today that needs the urging from this message because there's too much distance between where we are and where God would like for us to be I'm always reaching I'm always appealing that's why I said to start with you do we need another sermon yes we do because there's always somebody that thinks I can live on the fringe area I can I can have God agree to my terms I can get God to think like I do all of that and it, it doesn't work that way I, I still try to put myself in Simon Peter. I'm going to be honest. I don't know if I could have did what he did that night or in the wee hours of that morning. I don't know if I could have or not. I think by nature, when you're on stormy seas out in the boat, you want to cling to the boat as long as you can. That's the safest spot you got. But Peter gave it up. I'm not sure I could have done that. I'm being honest. I applaud him for what he did. But I cannot imagine what it felt like to walk back. And I'll be honest today, as much as I didn't want to go to Youngstown, Ohio and start a church and, and, and all of that, as much as I didn't want to evangelize and all of that, the moment I said yes on both, both times, I can't describe the peace, the comfort, the everything's going to be all right, no matter what I face, no matter what's going to happen, no matter what, no matter what comes, no matter what goes. We're going to be all right because 
I'm going back to where I started from. I stepped out and said yes. Now I'm going back to where I started from, but I've got Jesus with me this time. And so when we pulled up that day in Struthers, Ohio, a little suburb of Youngstown with our moving truck, and it was literally us four no more, literally. We were so excited. I had to hire a little teenage boys in the neighborhood to come help us unload the truck. We didn't know a soul. But there was so much peace, so much excitement. When we started evangelizing, I left home, we sold our house, stored our furniture, had family store and furniture. Our refrigerator was over here on this part of town. Our living room furniture was on that part of town. It was just everywhere. Drove three days for one one-week revival. But I had Jesus with me. That's what you don't understand. That's what you have to understand. I had Jesus with me. So it wasn't hard, as hard as I thought it would be. And so because of following him back to the boat, Jesus didn't take Peter into some wild-eyed alien world of whatever weirdness. He took him right back to where he came from. That, that's, that's what you, you've got to see. When you, when you say yes to God for his will and purpose for your life, he don't ask you to move to Hong Kong, China. He might, but probably not. Um, most of this crowd here today probably uh, wouldn't do that. But uh, he'll let you go back home, and he'll let you go to work in the morning. But there's a mental change. There's a perspective change. Your desires are different. You have someone in, in your life that's more important to please now than you've ever had in your life. It's not just your spouse and your family now. Now it's Jesus. But when you please him, Sister Murph and I are in a place in our life right now. I, I, if you had asked me this when I was 18 years old, I'd have told you. I'd have laughed in your face. But because I was willing to go meet him where he was and then walk with him have him walk with me through the rest of my life. Here we are. Here we are. Even through last year. Here we are. What can I say to that? What can you say to that? Those of you that struggle wanting to do it your own way and nothing ever works out, can't find good relationships with anybody, can't find good family time, there's always an argument, a feud, and this and that. Why don't you try bringing Jesus into all that with you and see what happens? But to have him there, you really need to say yes and just do everything that he's been asking you to do for years. And if you will, things change. They change. Stand with me this morning. Oswald Chambers said, God does not have to come and tell me what I must do for him. He moves me into a relationship with himself where I hear his call and understand what he wants me to do. And I do it out of sheer love for him. What a statement. So I'm not serving God and doing all the things that I do just so I can get all the blessing and the anointing and all of that. I do it just simply because I love God. So, if you think all of your excuses are legitimate today as to why you think going from where you are to where God is is impassable, why don't you have a conversation with Simon Peter about the impassable way? Might be another sermon for the future, the impassable way. Not impossible, 
impassable. It's, it's physically, <laughs> science and everything says, Pastor, that going from here to where Jesus is, it just can't happen. But what is all of that in the face of Jesus staring at you? Any of the 12, any of the 12 asked me the question that I walked all the way out here three miles to hear. Just ask it and see what happens. Ask me. Can y'all see my eyes? Are the lights working? Imagine that's Jesus just staring at you. Ask me. Ask me. Don't ask me to come to you. I came as far as I'm coming. If you want to be with me, you have to come the rest. Ask me. Ask me. Peter's going, God, don't make me do this. God, please, don't you see what's going on between where you are and where I am? Are you blind or something? Do you have rain in your eyes? Jesus is unrelenting and determined. I don't care who, but somebody asked me the question. It seems as though Peter reads and understands and discerns the mind of God. Okay, Jesus, here comes. Here comes. Here comes. John, John, you help me right now. I'm not stupid. I'm not an idiot. I'm discerning what's going on in the presence of God right now. Philip, Thomas, quit doubting down there. Okay, boys. Okay, boys, here goes. Jesus! You can hear that little human element. You can. You can feel it. You can see it. I've just, I've got to be human, Jesus. Peter's saying, if it's you, who else is it? Who else would it be but Jesus? But we'll give Peter a pass. Come on, Peter, keep going. Jesus is saying, keep going, keep going, keep going. Lord, if it's thou, bid me come to you on the water. And I can see Jesus in my little Pastor Murph way going, yes, they did it. One of them got it. It'd have been great if it had been all 12. It'd have been amazing if it had been six of them or even three, but I'll take one. And I just feel like Jesus is standing up there somewhere saying, Grace Church, Grace Church, it's me. And if you want to be with me this time, you gotta come the rest of the way. I'm coming as close as I was going to get. If you want more, you have to come to me to get it. But if you do, I'll take you back to your house. I'll take you back to your job. I'll get back in your car with you. And your life will never be the same again. Hallelujah to God. I feel the Holy Ghost right We've had three. 
head three, one, two, three, that says, Lord, if it's thou, bid me come. Anybody else? Anybody else? Wouldn't it be amazing if this whole church just stormed down to the front saying, God, I'm coming. God, I'm coming. God, I'm coming. But if that's not going to be the case, tell Doubting Thomas on the other end of your seat to not distract you right now because you're coming. Oh, good. 